So tonight, uh, Proverbs, if you look at Proverbs, Proverbs 3 and chapter 8 as well, if you look at both of those, So we've been going uh, through these themes in the book of Proverbs. This one uh, we come to tonight is very, very practical. Up until now, it's been more relational. We talked about our relationship to the Word of God, our trusting God was really the theme last week. We had a really good discussion about that. But you know that the book of Proverbs is super practical. It teaches us about family matters, about life issues, and tonight, I want to go through some scriptures, and the theme is this. If we're making these choices, choose to prosper. Choose to prosper. So, and when I say prosper, I do mean in the sense of financial prosperity and material prosperity. Now, let's look at this a little bit, and kind of we'll frame this first, and then we'll see what the scriptures say about it. But look at Proverbs. First of all, look at chapter 3. And I would have you, oh, just look down with me at verse number 13 through 18. 13 through 18 of Proverbs chapter 3. It says this, Proverbs 3, 13 through 18. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Now this is interesting. So it's setting it up and it's explaining that, obviously it's speaking about wisdom. So you find wisdom, it's as if you found a treasure. So you say, well, you're talking about prosperity. This is saying that wisdom is better than that. Yeah, absolutely. But now look at this. Verse number 16. Speaking of wisdom, it says this. Length of days is in her right hand. And in her left hand, riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness. And all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. So you see in these just this little section, verse Proverbs three thirteen through eighteen, it says that there are physical and material blessings when you find wisdom. So part of the reason he, he encourages us to apply these biblical principles to learn these truths is because there's wisdom in the scriptures. And that wisdom results in, as you saw there, material blessings. So look back, actually. It says in verse number 16, length of days in, in her, is in her right hand, and in her left hand, riches and honor. So wisdom is personified here, and her hands are full. She has all these good things to give us. It's, it's like, here you go, have a long life. Here you go, have, a, um, have some riches. Now, We'll talk about this, again, we'll frame it, but so what would you say to somebody who lives by the word of God, they have wisdom, they've found that wisdom, but they live a short life? Is, the, is, is what we're looking at, does that disprove the Bible, what it said there? And this is actually an important interpretive understanding of the book of Proverbs. 
somebody would say, hey, look at that. There's a promise right there. I'm going to claim it. So I have, I'm living with wisdom, but then I got cancer at 42 years old and passed away. So is the Bible proven wrong with that statement, or is there something a little bit more to this here? Any thoughts on that? <laughs> Examine what his health habits were. That's actually pretty good. Maybe there wasn't much wisdom there. All right, all right. Not quite where I'm driving at, but I'll take it. I will take it. Is there an interpretive rule for this? It also says, like, you know, there's, there's promises in Proverbs. Are they guarantees? Are these 100% guarantees? I think that's what we need to understand. When we talk about the book of Proverbs, we're looking at life principles all things being equal, this is how God built the universe, right? And it's not saying that there aren't other circumstances that couldn't come into play. This, these are not these are not 100% absolute statements that if you do a, it's not a formula, right? But in one sense, it is a formula. But it's not a it's not a it's not a this will always happen kind of formula, right? It's a principle. So generally speaking in life, God says if you will apply wisdom, you're going to have the longest life you could possibly have. Then riches could come your way as well. That's the path to it. Now, that, that also doesn't mean that are there many foolish people that have acquired riches and lived a long time? Of course there are. There are always exceptions to the rule. But this, in the book of Proverbs, whatever you read, is a general rule. It's the same thing with, with parenting. You know, there's a the proverb that, that you might have heard, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. Again, how do we interpret the, the, the book of Proverbs? So if, a, if a, somebody's child goes wayward, is that automatically 100% that means, up? Oh, they didn't do what they were supposed to do? No, because there's other factors in play, like that individual's free will and the choices that they make, etc. But these are principles for how we get the most out of life. You want to get the most out of life? You live by the principles that God lays out in Proverbs and other places, obviously. So, but, so there is this blessing of prosperity. Now, uh, go with me to chapter 8. Um, actually, these are on there. It's just a, the, uh, the headings were not in the right spots. But 8, verses 10 and 11. 8, 10, and 11. Receive my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. So, if you could only have one of the two, if you could only have physical prosperity or wisdom, he says, choose wisdom. Choose wisdom, it's greater. And I'll show you a few more things than that. So, I say that to put everything in perspective. So, now, if you turn to the inside of your, if you turn to the inside of your handout, choose to prosper, this introductory statement. As, as Christians, we understand that true prosperity is a fullness of grace that's poured out into our lives. It's experienced through the satisfaction of knowing God and walking, him, walking with Him in daily dependence. So there are many people that don't have big bank accounts, but they live a spiritually prosperous life. The outflow of walking with God, though, does affect all aspects of our life, and often it results in material blessings. But a caution is from Proverbs 15, 16, and 17. I love this passage. 
There's so much about, about money and riches and wisdom. Look at this one. See if you can uh, paraphrase this one for me. Proverbs 15, 16, and 17. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. Anybody want to give me a paraphrase of that one? We could, you could put that one in uh, modern vernacular. What is that saying there? The first verse, I think, is, is pretty simple. Better is a little. It's better to have a little, but fear God, than to have lots of, tr- lots of riches, but it gets you into trouble. And then that second statement, I really, it's not, very, it's not very friendly to all the vegans out there, but it's, uh, it says it's better to have, it would be better to eat salad, if you let me paraphrase this, it would be better to just have to be stuck with the salad, just eat the herbs, than to have to eat, you know, the the prime rib dinner, but your life is a mess, right? So that that there's you have peace and contentment in your life, and you may not. And this is what he's saying: is here, all you can eat is the stuff that you can forage and and that you, that that you can grow. But there's love in your life. There's peace in your life. Than to have all of the the best food that anyone could eat. In this day, of course, when this is written in this culture. They didn't have access to all kinds of food. You didn't, you didn't, so that was a sign of great prosperity. So, there is a worldly prosperity which is not rooted in God's grace. It only leads, leads to ruin. Proverbs 1.32, the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But the Bible does give us these principles for how we manage our lives under God's grace that results in true prosperity and success. All right, last thing I'll say, and then we'll get go into these We'll, we'll fill in these blanks, follow through this. It was talked about actually a little bit on Sunday in the adult Bible class, but there's a whole, there is a whole movement that will say that you should just lay claim to all these promises of prosperity, and that will be the sign of your Christian success, referred to as the prosperity gospel, that God wants us all to be rich, healthy, wealthy, and always have all this. Now, we're not teaching that. But at the same time, we can be too afraid of that. And I think sometimes Christians, I've known Christians that have the opposite mentality and they think it's God's will. There's some Christians that they think it's God's will for everybody to be rich. And then I've met other Christians, they think it's God's will for everybody to be poor. And if you spend money, you know, it's a sign that you're, you know, you're materialistic or if you make money, there's something wrong with that. And so both extremes, as usual, are very unhealthy. And the Bible gives us some principles for how we can prosper in our lives. Now, depending on what stage of life you're at, there's, this will have different application to you. Um, those that are younger, this is the opportunity for us to build into this prosperity. Uh, in different middle stages of life, there's opportunities to change course. Later in life, there's also opportunities to help those that are coming under you and give wisdom and give insight from what you did well and maybe what some mistakes that you made and be a blessing to someone else. So... What are these principles? I'll give you four, very simply tonight, I'll give you four principles from Proverbs that will result, the Bible says, all things being equal, these will result in a prosperous life. Number one, blank number one, and that is work. Work diligently. Work diligently. We, we looked at Proverbs 10, 
we're looking at Proverbs 10, 4, and 5 here. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. Laziness will rob you. If you're following along and filling in the blanks, that's the next one. The laziness will rob you. You saw that in verse 10, talking about the one who's slack or the one that's sleeping in harvest. I put on here Proverbs 6, 9 through 11. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. You know, when we are lazy, uh, it robs us. But let me ask you this question. What are, what are things that produce laziness in our lives? Because I don't think that laziness is something that is... I, I've known people that, that can become lazy. Right? Like, like j- diligence and working is not something that is necessarily... Now, there's some people just... It doesn't seem anything's going to stop them. I've seen people be morph into that. What are some things that can cause that? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. So lack of direction. Maybe somebody starts out with a purpose and then there's not a purpose. And um, I was talking with somebody that had a, a change. Actually, this is a really good conversation. They actually had a change in their life and they didn't feel... Uh, they, they didn't have the typical type of job that someone would have, but they found something and they said, you know what? But I realized I had to be working. I had to put my effort into something. And while it wasn't a traditional job, as people would say, they put that emphasis. Why? Because they realized how important it was to be working, to keep those goals moving forward, even if there's a change. Somebody else? What can, what can, yeah. Yeah, it can be a hard cycle to break. It can be hard for people. Like, that's lifestyle. Yeah, Miss Bailey. Yeah, enablement. And that's the balance, like, like with the whole, if we want to speak, like, socioeconomically in our culture, this balance between having a safety net for people in our social welfare system, which I personally believe is very important that people are, that, that we don't have people suffering in poverty, but then where is that line where that safety net then enables somebody? And I don't think any, I don't think we've had a politician yet who's figured that balance out at all. So these are, yeah, these are things that if people are always doing for you that can create that, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't always follow, right? Right. If if you have kids or grandkids, or nieces or nephews, and you have an influence, you know, just the, to encourage those parents to have those kids working, working a lot. It's important. It's important. What else can can cause? What what about uh, can cause people maybe to fall into laziness? Yeah, idle time, yeah, yep. 
Yeah, or even just the success. You know, some some what happens is, I remember um, my my father-in-law who went to be with the Lord last year. He was a hard worker from the time he was a boy up until up until he was in the hospital and and passed away. But his work ethic was such that. It was. It wasn't that he didn't enjoy his success because he built a very successful business. But it was never about. It was never his. His endeavors were never about how he could improve his lifestyle. It was about what he was producing and the impact his work was having. And it was almost like the increases in lifestyle were just kind of a byproduct of that. It's not that his lifestyle didn't increase, but it, he was never one. If you'd met him. You would never have known how successful he was just from conversation, but you would always have known how hard he worked. But it never—it was just like, despite how successful it was, always if you're not if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. That was his philosophy. And whether that's in, an, in a large enterprise or in our small endeavors, I think it's true. Um, and I'd encourage—you know—we have a mixed age in here. I'd encourage those of you that are even that are that are in your senior years or approaching your senior years. There's different ways. To, to be working. And um, you should always be striving to better yourself, improve yourself. Just, just because, you know, if you're on the, in the first, second, third, or fourth quarter of life, there's value, there's dignity, and God, we are created to be workers, to be producing. And it, it, it's in different ways, in different forms. But, but why is this so important? Because laziness will rob you. Obviously, if you want to fill in the blanks, you can give me, you can, I'll ask you for some, but the obvious one is laziness robs you of your money, right? Like you're, that's what the scriptures say, you deal with a slack hand. But what else does it rob people of? What else does, does, does it rob people of? Yeah, that's my, that's my third blank that I put in, dignity. We were, and that's what I just said, we were created to work. There was, a, there was a guy years ago, not known for being the hardest worker. And I never remember, that stood out to me when I was, when I was, just a little kid. You just, you just knew it. And um, he said to my, I remember him saying to my dad one time, he's like, well, you know, work was part of the curse. Work was part of the curse. And um, that's not true. The difficulty of work was part of the, the, the curse you, we read about, that you're going to work with the sweat of your brow. But work was actually the gift. Work was the gift. The, the fact that our work is frustrating and difficult that's cursed. But we're created uh, in the image of God, and part of that is to be producing. Um, so Adam and Eve were placed in the garden to dress it, to keep it. They had, that, they had that meaningful work that was given to them. You've read about the, maybe you've read uh, about the gulags in the former Soviet Union, and what would they do? They would keep them working, but they'd take the meaning out of their work. They'd build a wall tear the wall down, build a wall, tear the wall down, because they knew that meaningful work, it's important. So laziness robs you of not just of your money, but of that, of that dignity. Um, what else? Anything else?
Yeah. Right. That's and that goes back to the point my dad made too about you know your upbringing affects you, but you have your personal choice for how you're going to respond to that. Um, I put it robs your money, it robs your dignity, it robs your serenity, that peace of mind. There's a restlessness that, that can come. But then, in contrast, if laziness will rob us, the, the next blank there, diligence, will reward. Diligence is a reward. So the soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. How can we be diligent in our lives? Like, like, like what... Again, it's interesting because we don't have a real big group here tonight, but even in the small group here tonight, it's a pretty diverse group of ages. I mean, we kind of, we we run the gamut of ages here. Um, so what does diligence look like at different stages of life? Well, like, for instance, when you're young, you know, it's important that we help our children be diligent in their in education, right? So that's gonna that's gonna make a difference how diligent they are. But I think it does change, you know, in different circumstances, not just ages, but situations that we face. What does diligence look like in our lives? And and let's try to not think about all the people we know that aren't diligent, but how we are and how we need to work on being diligent. So any thoughts on that? Like, what does diligence look like in our lives? Yeah, it could be overcoming adversity, like serious adversity. It could be health adversity. It could be, I mean, we could go right down the list. But yeah, because you, you never stop facing adversity as long as you live. What else could diligence look like? hit that cruise control and coast. Yeah. 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 Doing There's a there's a uh, was it an admiral I forget his name but there's a it, he gave a, a commencement speech somewhere and it may even have become a book. Has anybody I can't remember his name but his whole gist of his speech was make yeah you saw that make your bed and it became a um, it became a, a whole thing but it was his whole speech was get up in the morning and make your bed. And it's that idea of it gives you a sense of accomplishment and, and people who are faithful in those things, they tend to be more productive in their lives. So, yeah, I think that's a good point. How can we practice diligence? It's just 
Don't let the little things go. Yeah. Yeah. Thousands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think one of the biggest things, I read uh, recently that I saw a study that if you read, like most, I think it was something like 50%, I need to double check this because it was just a recent statistic, but 50% of people after they graduate never read another book in their life. Like a, an astounding number of people go on to never like read. Um, and if you read, it, it was something like if you read a book every month, you would be in the like the the top ten percent of earners read a book every month. Top ten percent of people that 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 make the most income, they're known. They'll they read about a book a month. If you read a book every week, that puts you in the group of like the top one percent. Now I haven't fact checked all these statistics, but the spirit of the statement, whether it's whether it's factually correct or not, the spirit of the statement definitely struck me that. We just, um, and, I, and I think this is a danger as we get, as people get older, it's to say, oh, I don't need to learn that, or I don't need to know that. But I'd, I'd encourage everybody to, to, to be diligent when it comes to technology, when it comes to reading, when it comes to the world around us, the way things are changing. Um, it's very easy to just check out and say, you know what, we'll let somebody else. But we need people of all generations to be diligent about where this world is at, where things are at. You say, well, why is that important? I'd say because the, the less diligent you are in those areas, the less relevant you become. And the less relevant you become, the less impact that you can have. So I think there's an intellectual and a diligence that we need to have with all this as well. So that was one of the things that I was going to add to that. Any other thoughts on, on diligence and being diligent and how we can be more diligent in our lives? Okay, so work diligently. It's a principle. Laziness will rob you. Diligence will reward you. Go to number two, bottom right-hand side there, the second made point. One of the, keys to, one of the keys to prosperity is give. Give generously. Give generously. Again, it's not always a hard, fast principle, but more often than not, among people that are very prosperous, you find very generous people. Very generous people. Um, Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. There is that scattereth and yet increaseth. And there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. Verse 25. The liberal soul shall be made fat. What does that mean? Vote Democrat, you gain weight. Is that the point of the verse there? Somebody, what does that mean? The liberal soul shall be made fat. That you're enriched by giving. Yeah. 
that if you're not conservative with your resources, but liberal in giving them, then there's an abundance that comes back. He that watereth shall be watered also himself. Himself. So there is a, and I think that, you know, I think that the spirit of this verse here is more than just, um, you know, we pastors would like to just be like, all right, so put your tithe in the offering plate. And I think that's important. That's absolutely a part of it. However, I think this is more, there's more than this. I don't think it's less than that, but I think it's more than this. I think it's just a, an open-handedness in life, a spirit of generosity, the one that offers to pay the tab or buy the coffee, the one who isn't counting every single last penny. Um, you know, there's, there's just that idea of not a miserliness and a greediness to it, but just an open-handedness. That we are that we become generous people. Any thoughts on that? Before I give you my couple of statements there. Generosity, yeah. Yeah. I think that's pretty insightful. So if you didn't hear exactly what, what Carl was saying, is that when you're free in giving that money, it actually has less control over you because you believe that somehow you're going to get it back. Somehow you're going to get it back. And yes, that's a Christian principle, but it's also a proverb. It's a principle of the universe. And so you'll meet people that are not, they're not believers, they're not Christians, they may not even believe the Bible, but they live this principle and they give. They're open-handed and they tend to do well. Why? It's because the whole, the, I think what you said was the tighter you hold on to the money, right? The more fear the, of loss gets in there. Um, that can be affected, though, by people's views on money. And I've done a whole, uh, we might bring it back in a few months, but we've done a whole series on money and managing money. But people's upbringing affects that a lot. And there's habits that, are, that can be hard to break. But practicing open-handedness what are some ways, what are some steps we can take to, to do this in our lives? To say, maybe sometimes we struggle with this generosity. What can we do to, what are steps we can take to, to fulfill this scripture more, practically speaking? Any ideas? Well, I gave you one. Offer to, you know, buy somebody lunch. Bring them the cup of coffee. Like, ah, little things like that make an impact on the way we live our lives. Little things like that. Isn't it interesting with the, um, you know, it's kind of a fad thing to do, but, you know, that whole, that whole um, paying for the order in, of the person behind you in the, uh, at the Dunkin' Donuts or whatever. People do that because they understand that that small act of generosity can be, can be rewarding it can, and it can impact them. So you're the guy, I'm always like, somebody paid for the one in front of me. I'm always like, all right, and the, how much was the one behind me? You know, because I don't want to, next thing you know, you're paying for somebody's whole office order of $75. But, you know, hey, pay it forward, as they say. So um, what, uh, anything, practically, practically, how can we, the generosity? 
Yeah. Yeah, if you look for the opportunities, they will present themselves. They will be there. I know that... Um, Yeah, I heard uh, she she Yeah. I I would encourage you to to um to to it's not a bad idea to plan for giving like this. So like we always for years, my wife and I have taken like every just like so we get a paycheck, and it's just automatic. There's X percentage that is going to be tithed. We just always do it; never changes. Goes into a separate bank account. There's X percentage that's going to the missions program of our church. It's what it is, it's going to be there. And then there's another smaller X Y percentage that we put in that account. And it's just, it's there so that it just stays there. We don't use it for ourselves. Now, if we had an emergency or something, you know, it, it's not a law. It isn't like a legalistic thing we put on ourselves, but take that little extra amount that we can use it. Or if there's a special need at church or special offering, it's there. The money, it's a plan. Like we plan on that, that generosity. Um, and it's just, we did that when we didn't have much money at all. We've done that when we have had more money and it's, but it's a principle. Um, that whole statement, you can't outgive God, you know, it can be manipulated. You should never, that statement should never be, you know, pastors and evangelists have manipulated that. You can't outgive God. But there's, it's a true statement that you can't outgive God. But we shouldn't use it manipulatively to, to tell people to do something unwise or something that God would never ask them to do. But if you're sensitive to the leading of the Lord, and you, you can't outgive the Lord. He's gonna He's gonna meet the need. He's gonna He's going to take care of us. And so I put that if you're looking at give generously, the blanks here, give to the Lord. So the scriptures teach us to honor the Lord with the, thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. The principle that if you give to God, He's going to bless your finances. That's just you find that multiple places in the Bible. So, um, again, we don't give to manipulate God and say, oh, I gave a little more, so you're going to give me more. But in Malachi, he said, prove me. In Malachi, the, under the Old Testament law, they were obligated to give a tithe. They held back their tithe. And God said, well, you robbed me, and, but why don't you prove me? He says, honor me, and I'll pour, open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. Jesus said the same thing, that, that God will be returned, what is it, uh, returned, pressed down, and I forget the exact statement there, but basically, you, yeah, he shakes it, he presses it down, and he gives it to us. So give to the Lord. It's not a, again, I would never want to see anybody's arm twisted into giving because the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. And if you're giving out of compulsion, then you're actually in a dangerous spiritual place. So if you can't do it cheerfully, you might want to pray about that, but you should give and give generously. Give to the Lord. God promises to provide if we do. But it's not just it, it, we give to the Lord through like the church or through missions, 
but also give to neighbors in need. You can read in the book of Proverbs about how we are obligated to care for those around us. Not just neighbors in need, but give to the poor. Proverbs 28, 27, give to the poor. And, you know, that's why I'm not a, you know, the, the fact is, and as a nation, we do have these, these social welfare programs. And I know they can be abused, but I think it's a, it's, a, it's a good statement as a nation that we care for people that are in need, people in poverty. People say, oh, well, the church or individuals ought to do it. And I used to parrot those kind of statements as a young person. But you study history, the church and the neighbors didn't always do it. People went hungry and they starved even in our country. And now we provide, we care for people. So that's part of giving. So do I get upset that some of my taxes go to help people? No, I don't really. Now, if there's waste and fraud, I do. But I, there's nothing wrong with that. But we ought to personally be involved in giving. Giving to the Lord, giving to neighbors in need. And the Bible does instruct us to give to the poor. All right, we're out of time, so let me just give you the last blanks here. They're pretty, pretty straightforward. Number three, you can study this on your own. You ought to save frugally. You need to save frugally. Now, saving involves short-term planning, short-term planning, and long-term investment. Now, the, I think most of the financial instruction that's taught in the church in financial seminars is all about how to get out of debt. Get out of debt, get out of debt, get out of debt. If you go to a church financial seminar, probably the number one thing you're going to hear on. However, we should do a better job educating people on how to get wealthy for the kingdom, right? Like how to, how to, how to use wealth, how Christian manages wealth, how Christian manages his money. Not just the negative, stay out of debt, but the positive, take this money and use it for the kingdom. Much of what we, like you look at some of these buildings in the city, these church buildings, um, we know like the Roman Catholic buildings are funded by the, you know, the Vatican and all that. But you look at these Protestant churches and the Baptist churches in this area, they do not have attendances and weekly offerings to support the structures that they have. The reason that these places exist is because there were very wealthy members of their churches years ago that they left their, their inheritances to them. They, they were, and there are, you can go to, not just that, that's not just one example, but there are Christian universities, there are hospitals, there are um, camps, lots of camps, Christian camps and publishing houses. And the reason these organizations even exist today or ever existed was because there were wise business people who took their wealth and leveraged it for the kingdom, not to mention the financing of missions and, and all of that. So, we need to, I think we need to do a better job of teaching Christians how to build wealth for the glory of God. So that short-term planning, long-term investment. And then number four, number four, finally, spend carefully. Spend carefully. Greed will consume you. Debt will enslave you. Oh, but contentment will protect you. Greed will consume you. Debt will enslave you. But contentment will protect you. I love this verse, Proverbs. Again, most of these are all from Proverbs. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. There's a spiritual 
sweet spot when it comes to our finances where we enjoy the blessings of God, but we don't live exorbitant, lavish lifestyles as the world around us. And that is the, the protection that comes through contentment. All right, that's, uh, that concludes our talk tonight. Thank you so much. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you for the truths in your word to build our lives on. I pray that you'd help us to grow in wisdom. I do pray that you'd bless the prosperity of, of we, your people. I pray for this church that you'd cause, uh, cause us to prosper, Lord, and always to be careful to honor you with what you bless us with materially. We pray that you'd bless the rest of this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.